some people come along every now and then that are, they're truly inspiring. They have done things you wouldn't think possible. They might change the way that you think. Some great people change the way lots of people think. And then other people like Ari Kaplan changed the way sport was played. He's the real moneyball guy. He's the guy that brought statistical and analytical approach to Major League Baseball and changed not just the way that people were recruited, but the way that tactically coaches approached the game and the way players play the game. The real moneyball guy. Ari Kaplan here in my office. Dave, Dave Anderson. Look at this. Awesome. We're touching. It's weird. <laughs> what is the sensation? Skin. It's skin on skin. Now, this is exciting because uh, Ari and I have worked together for six months and we've not physically met. And now we're physically meeting in the same room and we've just had, I don't know, sitting here with a can of Coke talking for 40 minutes about your weird and wonderful life. <laughs> No, it's been a great adventure so far, and it's really great uh, to be where here in Melbourne. I love your um, home studio, the best home studio I've ever seen or imagined. Oh, thank you. I tell well, I geek out. I geek out when it comes to studios. I used to geek out with musical instruments and things. Now I geek out with audio equipment and video equipment, and because I think if it makes me look better, I might be better than who I really am. <laughs> but let's talk about you. And, and for anyone who's listening, we're also doing this live on LinkedIn, so you can jump in and ask us questions as well. But I'm going to get into some the obvious question to start with. You've given me a little bit of a background as you were a talent scout for musicians in LA at one point. You have also hung out with Eddie Vedder, which is remarkable given I'm a massive Pearl Jam fan. And if you look over my shoulder, for anyone listening, I have a whole heap of records on the wall. A lot of them are... Uh, Pearl Jam Records, you are an AI evangelist for Data Robot, and you were also, they made a movie about you. Yeah, p- partly about... Um, partly about you? Partly based on like Moneyball, which yeah. was leveraging data and analytics and data science and a little bit of AI uh, to help uh, uh, Major League Baseball uh, make better decisions, be more predictive. But then the fun part is like the human element is... You have data, you have predictions, but then how does that juxtapose or combine with Scout? So that was like the conflict in the movie, uh, but in real life, there's some conflict and then some harmony. You have data, then you have humans that enact on it. And like, where does it start? Where does it end? Where how does did it complement? Where did it start? So, well, the fun thing with baseball is it's been going on for like a hundred years. If you look at historical uh, records they've been keeping track of it and been doing some things like defensive shifts a um, hundred years ago uh, but it was all done by hand and it was like rudimentary but it was very helpful where do you position the players in the field so they're more likely to make an out and then even in the 40s 50s and 60s there's this famous chart uh, Ted Williams one of the best hitters of all time where he would what in data science terms call a heat map where would he hit the ball most effectively and least effectively yep. and use colors, red and green? 
And now, but that was all done by hand. The yep. guy took almost a whole year to develop. And now you could do that on the fly with every player, every situation. So it's been going on in different forms. Uh, it really took a huge leap in 2007 when this new technology came out. Camera-based technology started out called Sport Vision, where it would track everything going on in the field. So how fast was the ball going? How quick were runners uh, moving around? And that uh, took the game from a couple thousand data points per game to multiple terabytes of data, uh, 30 times a second, every player, every ball. And so there's been a huge uh, uh, revolution since then. Teams went from having like nothing. Um, I, I would say you know, the, the first juxtaposition was 1989 when I was first hired uh, working with the Dodgers. Um, then as, as far as I know, there were only three people working at that point. Uh, as a full-timer consultant to a team. So that was one inflection point. And then most teams had about one analyst data scientist around like the mid-90s, um, a little bit you know, a, a, around the money ball type of time. Yep. And then 2007 now, they uh, most team, every team has at least one, and the average size is about 10. You know, some of the bigger ones are 25 to 30, like full-time people. Yep. It's the best ROI in the game too. So why you? Why did you go into this? Like, where did you see the opportunity, and and what was what would you say is like your breakthrough? Yeah. So the way my brain works is if something's already been solved. I kind of get bored. I like to focus on what hasn't been done, what's kind of new and exciting, and try to push the envelope. So uh, I was a college student, Caltech, the California Institute of Technology. Yeah. People know that from the Big Bang Theory, and big baseball fan. But what I was uh, complaining about was some of the players I loved would have bad numbers statistics and vice versa. And everyone was complaining, like something called the earned run average, whereas a pitcher, you get credited for a win. Um, but uh, to get a win, your team has to score more runs than you allow. So half of that equation is out of your hands. And everyone was grumbling. That's not fair. Um, but in, in addition to grumbling, I came up with my own metrics, just kind of woke up and it's kind of foolish enough or naive enough to say a multi-billion dollar baseball card industry alone um, is inefficient and I'll just come up with a better way. And I just did. I was a teenager, don't know any better, and then was able to say things in sound bites and got on the Today Show and uh, LA Times and uh, Fred Clare, still a dear friend of mine, was the GM of the uh, Dodgers back in the 80s. And he saw me in the, the news and uh, had the fortitude to, uh, and the humbleness to say he can improve um, or he can be open to new suggestions. And looked me up in my dorm room, called my dorm and uh, said, hey, I want you to come on by and, and see if there's a way you can help the team. She so went from a dorm room studying to working for the Dodgers. Within an hour. So here, since you did said- Did you think about it for a second or did you went, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I like uh, wanted to hold and, and not let go since you said, is there a time in the next couple of weeks you can come in? Now. And I said, I'm going to be there within an hour. And I immediately, since I didn't want him to change his mind, I didn't want him to be on the road. So I, like I seized the opportunity. Like wow. I just like grabbed clothing, yeah. drove there and- uh, and he was like very gracious. He um, just said, yeah, talk to the players, any ideas you can have. You know, I don't know if I'll implement it, but I'll listen to you. And if it can help me, then we'll try it. You brought in a different approach, a different way of thinking. And often people that come in with different ways of thinking, 
get rejected because that's yeah. not how we've done this in the past. Were they open to these new ideas and did it? Did, did you get some wins? Did it start to change and was there a cultural change and was it successful? Yeah, so the great thing with uh, Fred Clare is he was uh, you know great leader. He led the Dodgers to their you know first world champion in, in a while and it hadn't they hadn't had one since until last year, but since he was humble, willing to change, willing to listen, willing to ask questions, um, it, it was helpful for him to identify players and for players, to understand like what are the strengths, weaknesses, and habits of their opponent. Yeah. But to your point, that was rare, very rare. Most other teams uh, w- wouldn't even like sit in the room to even hear what they were rejecting. They were just like, we don't need it. Um, but I'm like, but you don't know what it is. Let me explain what it is before you say no. But yeah, there, there was, um, as you see in every industry to change. Um, and, and change sometimes is... Uh, irrelevant sometimes it is like useless but in this case if you could find better ways to select players uh, lower your risk or compete on the field um, and you could explain it in a simple enough term that an athlete could take action on it then they they start coming to you it so yeah almost every time I go to there, there's people that uh, you know are against it the the concept but once you get a player um, and you could say, here's the habit. This opposing player never makes two pickoff moves to first base. That That's like a, a throwing to first base to get a runner out. And the person says, what do you mean never? I said, never. In the last three years, that has never happened. That's uh, tactical information that they could use to steal bases. And then, they, then the next day they go, all right, give me the next information. So over time, I became one of the, the earlier, what you call um, an analytic coach, we're working with the players, uh, meeting with them in the clubhouse or in the hotel and going over game plans of uh, helping them improve, which which was amazing. It is amazing. Like you've gone from just studying to all of a sudden working yeah. with major league baseballers, helping them with their tactics and their game plan using data. It's absolutely phenomenal. You know, I was not like... I. I don't know what people think, but not the most athletic, uh, more of a business person. But back then, you know, I was like a, t- a teenager, but they saw like the, the value in the data and and they were, they saw me that they could ask me questions. And, um, you know, I, I, I tried to be humble. And uh, so if they asked a question that could, you know, help them win a game or um, help them change their role, like there's a reliever, which is kind of like a small role to a starter where they make tens of millions of dollars per year now, yeah. they wanted that information. Wow. Um, and, and so they, they saw me as just somebody like who'd give them information that was easy enough that they could actually uh, help themselves. Any stories that you're really proud of or even stories that you wouldn't normally tell? Yeah, so most of the time you don't tell stories of who you helped um, scout until A, the general manager, like, publicly tells the press you wait for them or be they retire. But yeah, you know, a couple players like Hunter Pence is uh, one of them that uh, was with the Houston Astros and some scouts. Uh, long story short, he became the captain of the, the San Francisco Giants. Yeah. He won the World Series. But when he was in the minor league, some people thought he um, was uh, athletic to be a major leaguer. Half the, the organization thought they weren't. And the uh, owner and general manager said, Ari, you're the tiebreaker. Whatever you choose, you know, that, that, that's what we're going to do. And so I 
uh, it was a room full of people. Wow. I said, let me think about it, please. And I did analytical research and, you know, showed uh, uh, using analytics, his ability to adjust to opposing pitchers as time went on was like through the roof, like one of the top of his, uh, it's called the minor league triple A. So I, I gave him a strong recommendation and yeah, he ended up having a, a great long career. And I didn't tell anyone about this until two years ago when uh, he was retiring and um, I, I was working with Forbes as a, a Forbes sports uh, journalist yep. and got to tell him that and got it on video too. Wow. So yeah, Hunter Pence is a, is one of them. Kurt Schilling earlier on, um, you know, controversial type of guy now politically, but back then, yeah, I helped him go from being a reliever to a starter. And then he ended up winning a couple world uh, champions um, and uh, many other players. Yeah, so you're running like statistics that not everyone has seen. Maybe you were running statistics that the clubs didn't know. You were you were thinking through like variables of success and what this person would be like when they got to the major leagues, right? Is that right. sort of... Because that's what you said when you went, I went and analyzed this player and I found... You know, it sounded like you found like an angle. You found like a... Well, here's a variation that I think when this guy gets to the major leagues, he's going to be very successful, and that tips your judgment then into a hire him. Exactly. So, like with data science and with scouting, you want to take someone like with the Cubs, we signed a 15 year old catcher, like 15 years old, yeah, you know, wow. for uh, you know million dollar plus. What you do is you project how someone might play in the future based on other similar players, and then like with AI with transparency. You don't want just a model um, to say, yeah, there's like a 20% chance they'll make it. You want an explanation. Here's the characteristics that we believe indicate positivity. And here's characteristics that indicate negativity. And the fun thing, um, one thing I love with Data Robot and with uh, text analysis is you can now take scouting reports where humans watch the player and uh, make observations like you say that, aren't necessarily quantifiable. Like Dave is uh, projected to be an elite player. Yes. He's deceptive. Yes. And, um, you know, Ari is inconsistent and a weak hitter. And over time, it'll figure out what words scouts use combined with actual metrics, how fast they run, things like that. And we'll tease out what combinations of scouting words with biomechanical data and what results happen like when they played in college and then come up with a prediction. Yeah, let's so, so, so segue now into like, we fast forward from 2007 and now we're in the roaring 2020s, as someone said. Um, but we're now in an era where AI and sport is seemingly going a lot more hand in hand. Yeah. What, what's, what's happening now in sport with AI? Yeah, so now you're, you're in a, like a whole different situation. The Analytics changed a lot of games. In the NBA, uh, 20 years ago, it was mostly two-point shots, a little three-point. And now almost every shot is three-point range or um, your Shaquille O'Neal getting the and just dunking yeah. into the basket. Totally changed approach game. In baseball, just 12 years ago in 2010, only 3% of balls in play were to what's called a shift, where the players physically move to anticipate the ball only 3% of plays. And now, um, just 10 years later, it's over half of all plays, 3% to over 50. Wow. So the game's changed, and now you have a different challenge. Every team basically um, at the major league level has the same information. They all have 
data scientists that are capable of doing AI type questions. Um, and, and, and so the, what, where do you get the advantage? And it's, uh, you know, a lot, it's the creativity. It's yeah. called feature engineering coming up with, uh, you know, what are, what are ways you can uniquely identify points that have value? Um, it's the speed to insights. If uh, like a lot of times you have a two hour window or a one day window where the agent says, and, and, and they're good hearted. They just say, you know, you have two or three hours to respond. Do you want this player? Yes or no. If not, we're moving along to the next team. Not in a bad way, just like they have a lot of teams to go through. Yeah. So you have two hours to decide. So the speed to do AI generated insights, um, also being able to understand how the game, it's called data drift. You know, COVID, uh, there are games that were not played. Training's different. The rules are a little different. How do you make predictions when the underlying data has changed, which is same problem every industry has, um, and, and accuracy too. So the average, for the average person that doesn't get it, at draft day, they're running significant statistical models to work out whether or not that person's going to fit. They don't sit with a gut reaction and go, yeah, well, I've seen him play a couple of times. He averaged 20 when he was, yeah. you know, whatever. They're, they're actually running significant models to be able to go, this is going to be successful. Yeah, draft day is, is incredible. It's like the the most stressful but the most amazing day of the year of baseball, it's where you are setting the future, like your lifeblood, players that get signed through the minors and will become your next superstars. And the first round is super important, but um, even with the, the later rounds, uh, Mike Piazza with Fred Clare and the Dodgers, mm-hmm. he was picked in such a late round that the draft, like nowadays, isn't even that big. He wouldn't have been even selected in the game. And, you know, world wow. champion... Um, like Oral Hershiser, Alex Rodriguez, or like, um, you know, 10th round, or um, you know, I'm sorry, Albert Pujols, 10th round or later. So finding the diamonds in like later rounds is, is tough, but you do analytics, you watch video, you have significant discussions with, with scouts, people who've talked to them and their coaches and their uh, teammates for their character as well. Yeah, because the accessibility, like I saw, you know, so now we should, you know, let people know, you know, we work together um, and we're working at DataRobot, which is a leading AI platform, mostly targeted towards enterprises, but does work, I believe, with some major league baseball teams Mm -hmm. and and is in use. Um, One particular example I saw was Manchester City or the City Football Club Mm -hmm. as an example, and they were using a use case of recruitment so analyzing all of the kids out there and and obviously it's only the ai is only going to be as accessible or as as important as the data that it's collecting so you need to have all this video but these days a lot of the kids are playing with a lot of video so it can process a way more than humans can to figure out who's going to be successful and how yeah and and uh, yeah so you're to tying that in with what's the latest and greatest. Yeah. So there are hundreds of thousands of high school college players around the world. And a, a football team like Man City has like a team in India, a team in New York, a women's team. I think they have one here in Melbourne. Yeah, in Melbourne. Yeah. Um so you can either send scouts to look at 400,000 players or now the latest thing is to look at video. It could be broadcast. It could be a parent holding it up. And you could use AI with open source, like for free, to to make a metric. How quickly are they running? Do they favor their right or left leg? What are their uh, you know skills of uh, using their head, their feet? And you can quantify it just from a homemade video. So now wow. you have data 
uh, you, you could you know search through and automate um, hundreds of thousands of videos and then see who is likely to be success. And then maybe at that point, uh, send a human to go and look and delve a little bit more. But that's how you could take, it's incredible. This is just like the last couple of years, this trend is happening. It's so amazing to think what goes on behind the scenes with all the statistics. Stepping away from sport for a sec and then going into the world of um, you know technology, enterprise, everyone's sort of seemingly moving towards implementing more AI. We were talking before we came on air a little bit about you're here with me down in Australia and uh, and for Asia in that matter, we feel like a, we're, we haven't invested as much or we haven't taken... Um, well, it's not the risk. We haven't invested. It's what it is. We haven't invested as much in the AI technology. What's happening in the US? Like if you could kind of summarize it relatively quickly to someone that doesn't really understand it as much, what are companies doing with AI? What are the particular types of use cases? And then later on, we'll go to where we're we going with it. Sure. So when I talk about AI, um, you know, there's a million different definitions. So for for me, like AI is taking information and making a forward-looking prediction or like a classification. So like what will our sales be? Um, how should we market? What messages for each individual person uh, resonate with them? Um, so AI adds like all different levels of advantage. One is you can take a huge amount of variables and, uh, you know, AI systems will tell you, which of like a thousand variables or a hundred thousand is there a signal in? So yep. like Dave, if you are you know looking for an automated lawnmower, um, what characteristics will drive you to purchase it? And we can see for each individual person what drives them, and that's really hard to do or impossible with business intelligence. So it's understanding how a lot of data, the complexity of how it all works together. You might call that human behavior, but you know certainly the nuances of the real world. That's incredible. That's an advantage of AI. And then the other advantage is traditional analytics is um, structured data, numbers and categories. But now you can take you know, an image like Coca-Cola and detect what parts of the image um, resonate one way or another or classify. Um, is this guitar? We, we have a reverb, like used uh, uh, music information from you know picture you're you're doing online sales how good a condition is it so th those are kind mm. of the newer uh, type of use cases uh, time series where you can very precisely uh, like forecast a product before it's even launched um, we're going to launch this dill flavored uh, french fry how might that do compared to everything else so those are very practical use cases and so every single industry is is benefiting from AI, if you have data and you're looking to predict or classify something, and you can do it really quickly and now really easily. How hard is it to get started? Uh, great question. And and so uh, coming to Australia, I do realize there are a lot of companies, billion dollar companies that have zero, maybe their first data scientist. Yeah. And so there's a misconception that you need data that's kind of perfect to get started and you don't need perfection. AI, you can take whatever data you have, and AI can make a prediction, yeah. but it'll also inform you your data sucks, so this prediction's not good, but you still get directional information, oh, like just generally. And then as the data gets better, then the predictions get better. So it could be very quick and easy to start, You know, just get some sample data. Um, of course, we work at DataRobot, but I... <laughs> 
truly before I was with Data Rope, that's why I joined. It, it, we catered to um, not just the hardcore data scientists, but what you call citizen data scientists, people who have never programmed in Python or R. You can take data, say, let me predict my sales, and you always predict sales with BI, but now it's AI-driven uh, uh, predictions just by clicking what do you want to predict and hit a start button. And that's also what makes it smart, I guess, is it can self-report on quality and bias and things like that, right? Yeah, the, the, so that's the, uh, the the big challenge is people who haven't done AI don't trust it. And I would understand if it tells me don't sell Coca-Cola you know, at Harris Farms, I want to know why. Why is it telling me this? Yep. So with AI, you need that, like the transparency of yep. how are the decisions made. And that, that and, and also how accurate is the model? Like don't sell Coke in Harris Farms with 99% like confidence or like a 5% confidence. So it gives you a percentage confidence so you can apply your human intelligence to the AI outcomes to be able to go, let's not bet the farm on this one. Have you heard that saying before? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah it's in have, America too. Yeah. Have you picked up? I didn't even know. If, I, I get so hopeless with some of the sayings. So you're like, bet the farm. And I'm like, going, is it bet the farm? I, like I had to pause for a second yeah. and I'm like, am I going to say the wrong saying? And then half the time when I'm talking with Americans, I'm like, <laughs> I do so many sayings and they just stare at me like, yeah, exactly. And they're just trying to be polite. So now what are you doing? What are you doing in Australia? Uh, first of all, I love being here. This is fantastic. Hope to come back. Oh, um, you're just saying that because you want to come back. <laughs> another trip, yeah. Yeah. No, I do want to come back. But um, so, so one of the most exciting things is still get to have my foot in the door in sports analytics and data robot and McLaren, one of the Formula One races, um, ra- race teams, is in Melbourne, uh, first time in a couple of years. And actually, one of our dr- drivers, Daniel Ricardo, is an uh, Australian. Australian, like from favorite. Perth, where I'm from. Happens to be a West Coast Eagle supporter, which is the same team as mine. So there you go. And most people in Perth know each other when they're growing up or know by one degree of separation, but he's a mysterious cat that no one really knows. I had to, I was like, he's what? Is he really from Perth? Why is he wearing an Eagles? Anyway, there you go. So yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're, um, you know, we're we're both a sponsor of them and then they use Data Robot. We're going to be revealing more details and use cases as the year goes on, but yeah, here uh, being here with some of the race strategy team, and then you know we have uh, since I'm here, you know, speaking at conference and meeting some of our customers, prospects. Um, How big is like a that. race science team roughly in a Formula One? It, it's pretty big. So people involved in the race, I believe it's for just one team like McLaren, about 700 people. What? And they have in the uh, team. Yeah, not all physically here. Like thirty or forty people travel. Yeah, um, you have pit stop people, race strategy people, a couple engineers on site, mechanics. Gosh. But then in Woking, that's the name of the town yeah, in yeah. England, they have a, a room of about a hundred fifty people, and it's like mission control with NASA. And like one person, all they do is look at the front left tire. Another person looks at like airflow from one part to another. And they all work as, as one giant team. Wow. They have a stack of sensors on the car and that's all relaying back to... Are they doing real-time analysis of the car and things like that as the race is going? Yeah, it, it's phenomenal. They, um, yeah, th- This team, they have over 300 sensors, a thousand times a second. Formula One um, sends the data of all teams to their um, 
uh, uh -huh. you know, servers. And then McLaren, uh, you know, we only have access to our uh, data, yeah. plus, you know, where the other cars are, but that all gets sent back, you know, speed of light, electricity. Yeah. And so this team of people is sitting there doing real-time analysis. And one cool fact I learned uh, since joining is, so we're in Mel Melbourne, uh, you know, many hours ahead, I don't know, 10 hours ahead of London. Yeah. So the team a week ahead, they changed their sleep schedule. So they wake up oh. at the same time they wake up here. So just to, to have during that hour and a half of the race, like the mental clarity. So they can all go through jet lag together. Exactly. It's perfect. <laughs> Except they don't get the beauty of like getting nice coffee and really good food. They're in yeah. England. They wake up and go, really crap weather. What am I doing <laughs> awake at three o'clock in the morning? This is ridiculous. But pretty amazing dedication. Yeah. And really good food, I might add. Best seafood. In Australia? Australia, yeah. Interesting. Well, you've just been up in Sydney, right? Now you're down in Melbourne. Can you compare the two or have you seen enough yet? Uh, yeah, very, very different. I don't want to offend any oh, listener, but Melbourne is amazing for like the art, you know, artistic flair, like alleyways with graffiti, like, like artistic graffiti and yep. coffee shops and the European feel and Sydney. Um, yeah, I, I went to Manly beach and Bondi beach, uh, for the best seafood dinner I've had yeah. ever, but you know, the downtown, you know, it's actually corporate. pronounced, it's called Bondi, Bondi, not Bondi. Bo yeah. Bondi, Bondi. Bondi yeah. Cool. Yeah, that, no, that I'm was beautiful. It's it actually bloody. Bondi. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> you got me. <laughs> I did. I heard Wilco, Jeff Tweedy, he's from Chicago, where you're from, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said that on stage. And so oh, no. I just sort of stole that little uh, little anecdote. He goes, Bondi. But um, yeah, Bondi. He goes, no, it's spelled Bondi. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But you had a good time up in Sydney as well. You're not going to give a comparison as to which one's better. Or right only like, like all positive. So Sydney is like the uh, you know business hub of the country and... You know, beautiful harbors and, uh, you know, a lot of scenic uh, areas. You know, in a great downtown, it reminds me of uh, where I'm at in Chicago. Yeah. Just a lot of see and do and theater and, yeah. of course, the opera house, but, you know, theater well beyond that. Yeah. And you've got a fun time ahead of you. You're um, going to go, you got the Formula One this weekend, naturally, in Melbourne. And then um, then you're going to the football, Australian Rules football. Yes. Thanks and so to you. Yeah, and so uh, so that'll be good as well. So you get to experience a little bit of um, chaos because <laughs> I'll be really interested. Have you ever seen an Australian rules football game before? No, never. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. Yeah, well, so I'm really interested to see how your statistical mathematical brain works when it first sees a game of AFL. I'm going to be <laughs> absolutely fascinated because it's chaos. Absolute chaos. The ball doesn't bounce like a soccer ball. It bounces in all different directions. And when they line mm. up at the start of the game, there's no offside and everyone's standing with each other all over this entire ground, which is a massive ground. So it makes no sense. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to seeing how you're going to process it. And moreover, also what how an AI could start to process how this game is being played because just like the other sports around the world, it's evolved as well as players have evolved and as players work out how they can manipulate the way the game is played, the league even changes the rules to change the way the game is played to make right. it more appealing for the spectators. It's probably one of the only sports in the world where they, they're still literally coming up with the rules seemingly <laughs> every week. How are we going to change it this week to make it a little bit more interesting? So that's great. So that's, yeah, I can't wait to see it and, and give some thoughts, but uh, they're human players, so I, you know, I imagine there are some tendencies. Some players may get 
more more wary towards the end of the game. Maybe some have tendencies to do certain strategies. So that's kind of where my thought is going into it. Yeah. Is like maybe there's some trends that you could find that you might be able to take advantage of if you can identify it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it'll be really good for you to see it and then um, have some conversations with them down there too. Wow. There's a number of clubs that want to have uh, a couple of chats with you, including the league as well. So it's all very interesting. Hey, where are we going with... Um, you were very early on getting into sports around AI um, or you know just around statistics, as I should say, and really then eventually into AI. And then now you're sort of... You're working as an evangelist, evangelizing AI for you know the leading platform. Where are we going? It, it, it well, so there's the the whole world is evolving. Like I started, this is my third year at Data Robot this coming week. And when I started, like almost no company, like a couple Fortune 500, have what you know the way I would want to run an AI. Uh, you know, well, shop in an organization where you have dozens or hundreds of data scientists. Very, very few were doing that um, three years ago. And then, you know, every year, like the maturity level, by maturity, I mean, going from dipping your toe to having two people to having 30 or 40. And then now we see some companies having hundreds of people. So wow. the, the where, where things are going is like a culture, um, you know, first that we want to understand how can we be better as a company, better to our customers, better products, better efficiency. So having that culture and then having the ability to have both data scientists working on the real complex problems and then citizen like business analysts being able to do AI type questions without having to involve the data science group. At least they're involved to make sure there are guardrails and the data is meaningful. Um, but yeah, that, that's the ideal way is where there's uh, actually 30 times as many business analysts in the world as there are data scientists. So if you're a business, you can get 30 times as much uh, you know value or at least 30 times as much people working on AI-driven insights. So in just that three years, you've seen a dramatic shift in investment in AI. Was it related to COVID or is it just you just feel like it's a tipping point where there's maturity levels? Yeah, I see it similar to what happened in Moneyball Baseball is took a couple teams to like see success. And the human nature is um, like, Dave, if you're not doing it, I'm not going to do it. But you go first. And they're like, no, you go first. You go first. And then the first couple people that are successful, then everyone wants to be that. But the the first few people who are successful are ahead of, they have a multi-year advantage. So I see the same thing with AI is, People were waiting, and, and still to this day, you know, you're, you know, a, a bank. You, they always ask what other use cases have banks used, which is valid. But sometimes it's valid to just be the first in a use case. You don't have to have that success out there. So I, I think now at least enough people, like maybe a third to half of com- of major companies, have adopted AI at least to like the first second level yep. of maturity that. I think it's proven. The ROI of AI is a given. So you're going to see it just accelerate further beyond where it's at today. If we've only done three years, I mean, maybe that explains why Australia is so far behind potentially because we spent 
two and a half years in a really severe lockdown. Most yeah. of us did anyway. And um, we always think that we're very different to everyone else in the world, but we're really not. Every business is the same, whether you're forecasting how many avocados you're selling or how many cans of Coke, or we're actually pretty similar. So we're going to see it accelerate. So for anyone that we were on LinkedIn Live at the same time while we were doing this, and um, there was a couple of comments. So um, Danilo uh, said, up the Eagles. All right. <laughs> Which is good. Um, so that's a really good thing. And someone else was asking whether we're going to see a demo. There won't be a demo today. And I also played the role today of being the utter, the dumb one in the room, which wasn't that difficult with you being in the room, but to get to ask you <laughs> oh, the questions that uh, I think really helps you understand because you get little nuggets of gold, like to really understand like what's happened in three years. It makes me think about the kids, right? You've got kids. Mm-hmm. What do you tell the kids to do as a career path? Yeah, yeah, great question. So the world is changing so quickly that, um, like, uh, you know, my oldest is going to college. Um, but the the language, like, if you study Python now, it's in high demand. You know, it might be very commoditized in four years from now. Yeah. Um, and with artificial intelligence, like the automation of being able to do a linear regression is just like it sounds great on your resume now, but you know, you'll be able to do it with a click of a button. You actually already can. So, you know, the skills, uh, you know, are just like thought process, like flow of logic. Under um, Eventually with AI, you're going to have um, the people who understand the data, people that understand the business, and then to some degree, like the technical aspect. How do you operationalize it and take these concepts and be able to make a model? So really any of those three um, are, are going to be the key. So it's, you know, I went to Caltech and it wasn't like, I don't think I use any of the math formulas I learned, but just the thought of like teamwork, uh, excitement of technology yeah. and just problem solving is uh, some of the key things. But yeah, if I were to talk to people, then of course study data robot, but uh, you know, understand the latest trends in, in artificial intelligence, machine learning and uh, data science. A hundred percent. And that came up again today numerous times where people are just saying the importance of collaboration and that's what's going to make it successful. Staying inquisitive and staying close to the technology, like being someone that really wants to try and understand, well, how does this AI work and can it make my job more efficient? Can I deliver more value? And then what's the value that I'm providing? Have business context. Right. So whether you're a really talented data scientist, it's critical to understand the business context. And whether you're the business analyst, it's really important to understand the data science angle so that together you can have empathy and deliver the outcomes. Does that sound about right? So I love that word empathy. Yeah. Yeah. It does sound right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, I'm a big fan of it. Hey, so we should wrap up. You've got to go back to the city. I've actually found doing a podcast with someone in person has been harder than doing it on the TV because I'm also conscious of a like body language. Like every now and then on the TV, you can sort of look away right. and you might write a little note or something or just quickly check a stat. Right. And when you're in person, you like got eye contact all the time. You're like, geez, if I look down and yeah. type something now, is Ari yeah, going to yeah. get offended? Or if I look over to here, are they going to get annoyed that I'm, you know, checking these things? Yeah. Yeah. Like alt tab has been like my friend through the pandemic. Like I go to Slack, see if any messages are coming in. Go to my Word doc, some notes. But yeah, now you can't do that. That's funny. Who's your friend during lockdown? Um, I was just friends with Alt-Tab. <laughs> oh, Alt-Tab. Yeah, he's a really good guy, Alt-Tab. Yeah, really know him. Yeah, grew up with him. I know his sister, yeah. Yeah. Amazing to have you here in the room with me. I had a fascinating conversation with you. Hey, um, finish this sentence for me. I'm going to put you on the spot, even though I know our Uber is coming very shortly. 
AI will dot, 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 dot. Change every single industry and every single person on the planet. Have you thought about that question before <laughs> no. I got given to you? <laughs> no, that's a good one. Hey, you met Eddie Vedder? I did, yeah. We uh, Many times, like he was a big Cubs fan and I was head of analytics for the Cubs. So he would, uh, when I say hang out, like be three, four hours at the game and in my office before or after. Well, and he bust outside the stadium, you said? Yeah, like there probably are videos, but he would just like, uh, you know, dress in like a T-shirt and jeans and like a baseball hat and just sit on the ground with like a money bucket outside for tips and just play guitar. And it was hilarious that people would just walk by and like not tip him and he would just be singing. It was, it was great. Was that after he was a known entity? Like yeah, this after- is like... Like after five years ago? Oh my god! So people would walk past Eddie Vedder five yeah. years ago gotta, and like, not stop and listen. Yeah, you got to YouTube it. It's yeah, yeah. Just like you didn't know it was him. It's just oh, this guy playing guitar. He was probably doing a, a Pearl Jam cover or something. And they just kind of walk by, and then like a crowd looks, and then everyone has their cell phone out. <laughs> what would what if there's no hope for any busker? If, if you've got Eddie Vedder standing there playing and everyone's walking <laughs> past him, that's hilarious. Fun times, fun times. Hey, we got a we got two minutes until our Uber gets here, so okay. we probably have to wrap up this podcast, which is a random thing to do and the first time I've ever wrapped up a podcast because an Uber was coming. Uh, wonderful to have you here in the studio, Ari. Hopefully, we'll get you back again soon and uh, good luck with the Formula One this weekend. Thanks. Yeah, great to be here. Like, wonderful. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate.